This interview is brought to you by Renogen, and welcome to Stefano Morani, who's the chief executive of Renogen, which released a trading statement, a trading update, I guess you could call it, on Friday that saw a volatile session for its share price, down 20% at one stage before recovering pretty much all of those losses. We're going to find out what is going on at Renogen, a company that many members of the business tribe are invested in. Stefano, maybe the best place to start is just give us a little summary of what happened uh, in the most recent quarter, i.e. your, if you can just give us a nutshell of, of the trading update, and then we can go into um, other stuff about the company. Alec, thanks for the time. So in a, in a nutshell, I mean, look at it this way. Um, you've seen, you've seen uh, you would have seen from previous announcements that the, that the company went into production during the course of the year, last year, and uh, and steadily we started to increase the uh, the the output of the energy. So month on month, we've uh, uh, we've set new records for for increased production of energy, and that's had a significant impact on increase in revenues, um, because previously we were only operating a little CNG plant for a couple of buses in the Free State. Now there's a full on energy operation, but. The analogy to what we've been doing is is that we're operating an entire plant. However, without the helium module on, you're only generating revenue for a portion of it, which means that losses from this, while the plant is not operating at full capacity, and you're only receiving revenue for a portion of it, you've got the expense of the entire plant, but you only got the revenue from a portion of it. So, the uh, you know running running it at an overall loss is inevitable. It's unfortunate, but it is inevitable. Um, what we are going to see in terms of um, in terms of updates going forward from here is that as the plant gets closer to the plate capacity, and once we've brought the helium module on, we will start to gain the benefit of um, increased operational efficiencies, um, and we expect that by the time that we reach the first half of next year. We uh, calendar year will be at full nightlight capacity and will be at a position where the helium will be on. Um, that that should be before the end of this calendar year, and then we're sitting in a position where obviously the the, the business is then profitable. Um, one of the yeah, just, just in terms of what people should be looking at and expecting for before the end of this year, uh, this financial year for us, it's important to note that obviously the reason that the helium isn't on was because of a leak. It happens. It's not ideal. Um, we could plan for it. It is what it is. We had to take the mature decision to have the thing repaired to, to gain the efficiencies. Um, that's meant taking the cold box offsite and bringing the cold box back. So from a from an LNG production perspective, that means the plant was down. Um, but we also had to um, annually, you go through a, a maintenance cycle of about 20, 25 days. So given the fact that we had to take the plant down for that and there is an in ending uh, maintenance cycle, we decided to combine the two and bring that forward. So I don't expect that we're going to be in a position where you know all of a sudden the helium cold box is going to be on and the second half is going to be profitable. We've, we've lost a lot of production time. Um, so I think the second half of the year is going to be a little bit more of the same this year. Um, but in a nutshell, yeah, this isn't, this isn't unexpected and it doesn't change the fundamentals of the business. The fundamentals are still there. Remember, at the end of the day, the phase one project was always a proof of concept. Yes, it is, it is a profitable um, proof of concept when it's in full operation. 
but it is still only a proof of concept. The fact of the matter is that this entire project has been designed for the phase two operation, which is obviously a meaningful and globally significant helium operation. That's a, a good summary. Just so that we understand a little better, uh, the production in the last four quarters has gone from 233 tons to 720 tons to 823 tons to 1564 tons. Where is the nameplate capacity, as you say? How much further upside exists in the production? So we anticipate that we can probably push this thing to from where it currently sits. It can probably go um, about 1.1 times from where it currently is in production. And that's that's on the LNG side. Obviously, it can go an infinite amount on the helium because we haven't produced helium for sale yet. Mm. We've only produced it for our own tax. But yeah, that's... Um, that's uh, that. That's kind of what it looks like from a, from a production perspective. We're at about forty. We're just over forty percent of nameplate capacity, and we'll be running it at somewhere between 90, 95 and ninety eight percent. And the helium itself, when does that start kicking in? So the helium, uh, the helium module has now been repaired. There was obviously a leak in the cold box. That's been brought back to site. The leak has been repaired. Um, that's now being connected to the plant. Um, in addition to the connecting to the plant, um, as I mentioned before, the one thing that we had to do was bring forward the um, the, the maintenance. So every single year, out of the 365 days, there's about a 20, 30-day maintenance cycle. And that's to lubricate the moving parts, to replace the seals. It's, it's like any machine. Um, now, we brought that forward. That should have been done in December. The worst thing that you can do is warm the plant up, cool it down, warm it up, cool it down, warm it up. And what we would have done is if we turn on the helium module now or any time around now, then in a month's time we'd have to warm it up again so that we could do all of the repairs. So right now what we're doing is that we, uh, we've we started the scheduled maintenance, um, lubricating all of the parts, replacing the seals, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and like I said, we, we anticipate that we'll be in helium production before the end of this year. But I think the real story here of Renogen has always been, as you say, phase two, the big plant, the plant that uh, is going to be $750 million, uh, massively bigger than the proof of concept that you have at the moment. It appears as though shareholders or traders, <laughs> if they're shareholders, but anyway, the people who are playing in your stock at the moment, uh, they are focusing on phase one. And I guess you've you've got to get that right for all kinds of reasons. But are your funders running scared? Are they concerned? Are they still on board, though, for the $750 million? In other words, is phase two, the big one, is that still coming? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the funders, I don't think the funders are, either, are particularly worried about what uh, what happens with the share price. Um, you know, from their perspective, they've, they've been on site. They've kicked the tires. They looked at the plant. Um yeah, the DFC was with us right in the very beginning when we were selecting which EPC to go with, and and it was quite extensive. Uh, it was quite extensive um, net that we cast in terms of looking at who was the best technology provider for the first phase of the project. They've they've seen phase two. Um, yeah, in in many of these cases, they they send out these LNG um, experts from from Europe and from the United States. Yeah, qualified engineer that built these plants all over the world that came down, they kicked the tires, they looked at the geology, they looked at the equipment, the PNIDs, all of the all of the schematics and the designs 
and everything got approved. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a massive, massive undertaking going through one of these due diligences. And, you know, we've been through several of them. The the lenders aren't particularly perturbed about all of this noise in the system. Um, yeah, this noise in the system at the moment is is really is really quite unfounded to be to be um, to be quite frank. Is it worrying you though? No, not particularly. I sleep pretty well at night. So, the looking ahead, when is that? When is the big part of Renogen? When is the real Renogen story? I guess you could call it going to begin. So, look, we've we've got a few milestones. Obviously, it's turning on the union. That's critical. There we, yeah, there we acknowledge, and we we we've acknowledged the fact that we dropped the ball on that a long time ago. I think, yeah, that's that's obviously the the the, the cross that we have to bear. Um, the next step is turning on the union. Then we've got um, unlocking the equity for phase two, and there are many many irons in the fire. Um, obviously, front and center is uh, is an impending IPO. But we'd be remiss to say that the IPO is the is the OD is the only horse that we have in that race. Um, so again, you know, it's 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 having the main plan that you're sticking to, and then having the backup plans in in case the uh, the first plan doesn't work. Does that mean that I don't believe that the IPO isn't going ahead? No, I'm actually incredibly optimistic. It's uh, it's it's looking very good. Um, but yeah, so the one benefit that we do have is flexibility on timing, because as everyone can see. Um, even from the from the recent ARM IPO, uh, which has sold off, we've we've had two or three IPOs now that have that have sold off like twenty five percent, which means that yeah, there are significant headwinds in the IPO market in the United States right now. So you know, listing now would be would be a very very silly move. We've got the flexibility in timing. We don't need to IPO until May of next year, and um, and still and that'll have absolutely no impact on the construction timetable of the project. So we're going to bide our time, and we will we will we will IPO when the time is right. Um, and you know, once once we once we start to see those two key milestones unlocked, we'll go into construction. It's a it's a thirty to thirty six month construction. Um, but then at that point, yeah, based on the based on the proper guidance that we gave, yeah, it's it's producing a significant amount of EBITDA. And contrary to to what everyone thinks, the, the the assumptions that we put in there are actually very very conservative relative to uh, to to some of the, the articles that we're doing the routes, which are really using meaningless data. The fact of the matter is is that our, our estimates are incredibly incredibly conservative, and they're all verified by the lenders as well. Yeah, I mean we 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 went through a very very thorough due diligence with independent market experts weighing in. Um, so the the real Renogen kicks off, and the real Renogen becomes a cash cow from 2027 onwards. And in this kind of market, and that's what we did at BizNews as well. We had Renogen in our portfolio. We saw that the markets had changed. It's almost like investors have lost their risk appetite, and hence you will see an impact on the share price. But as far as the real Renogen is concerned, or phase two, that's irrelevant to you uh, until you have to come and list your Companies' shares on the U.S. markets. Where, uh, how many shareholders do you have at the moment through your other listings? Um, it's it's actually a phenomenal number, um, and yeah, I, I stand to correction. But the last time, the last time I uh, I got a report, it was somewhere in the region of about forty-two to forty-three thousand shareholders. It's 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 a monstrously high number. 
So there are lots of people who believe the story. There's a lot of people who actually are are pulling for you. But on the other hand, there seem to be quite a few people who are pulling against you. What's going on there? What's the what's the motivation? Uh, listen, I've I've heard every speculation, and I'm I'm not in the game for speculation. Uh, look, we're, we're what's what I like to think of it is is we kind of like Marmite. You either like us or you don't. Um, yeah, if you if you're a stock picker and you and you pick your stocks on the basis of looking at a PE multiple, we're not that company. We'll be that company once phase two is on. Until then, we're a high growth stock, um, and that is what it is. And not everyone has the appetite for high growth stocks. Um, aside from that, I'm I'm certainly not going to speculate on what people's motives and agendas are. And like I said, I've, I've heard every single theory out there. Um, some of them are more colourful than others, but um, yeah. I don't think what uh, none of that really has any impact on the business and and what we're about. You know, core to our DNA is we're developing the country's first LNG project and the first helium project in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, this is a monumental achievement for the country. We should be celebrating the fact that we're endowed with these riches. Um, and you know, it's 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 been labor of love. It's taken ten years to get to this point. And um, and you know we've we've got a long road to walk ahead, but uh, but it it is a it is a truly proud South African opportunity. You say that, and there are people who are skeptical of it, but certainly the conversations that I've had with both James Lorimer from the Democratic Alliance, the shadow minister there, and from the chief geologist of the state, is that we really do have an incredible endowment in South Africa of uh, natural resources that haven't yet been unlocked. And in fact, with the chief geologist, he mentioned Renogen, he mentioned your helium project in the Free State. How much is there? Maybe maybe looking on the, on the upside, if you are able to uh, overcome the challenges that you've set for yourself in putting the plant together, etc., and, and beneficiating the helium that's in the ground, how much, how big a helium producer could you be? Oh, listen, let me, let, me put, let me put the numbers in context. And uh, this is this is where concentration becomes becomes key. Um, to say that helium is running out is a completely unfair statement. There is a lot of helium left on planet Earth, but the point is the concentration at which you find it makes it economically unviable. So to put things in context, you've got some producers in the Middle East; they produce an inordinate amount. But in order to evacuate um, a certain amount of helium, they have to evacuate a certain amount of corresponding methane. In order for countries like that and deposits like that to increase their helium meaningfully to meet demand, the amount of additional LNG that needs to be produced is so significant that it changes the entire planet's LNG dynamics. And the associated LNG plant would cost tens and billions of dollars. So com- countries like that can't just ramp up capacity. It's a very, very slow progress. Um, you've got additional deposits where there is no methane, only nitrogen in the gas. And that means that the running cost of producing liquid helium is incredibly high. We happen to use the methane to generate the energy that allows us to liquefy. So we get cost advantages in our process. Um, that means that Pure nitrogen-based, no methane, but pure nitrogen-based helium means that you end up with a significantly higher 
cost um, number, and you're virtually incapable of producing liquid. You can only produce gas, which only goes to a very small subset of the helium market. So these are these are kinds of the challenges that that a lot of helium opportunities face. By contrast, given the concentration that we have and where we are, the the net result is that we're currently only using in our second phase 14% of the acreage. That's it, 14%. That's the total footprint out of the total production right that we have. Is there a phase three and a phase four and a phase five? Of course, we're planting the, the plant. Yeah, we're, we're putting aspects in the plant that are modular to allow us to expand. If we have to match the single largest producer of helium on planet Earth, say Qatar, and we had to produce 25% of the world's helium, where Qatar produces 77 million metric tons of LNG per annum to produce that amount of helium, which is a gargantuan amount. It's, it's, it's an absolutely gargantuan amount. By contrast, we would only have to build a 280 megawatt power station and we would match them in terms of helium output. That is the power of concentration. That is the amount of legs this deposit has. It's huge. And well concentrated. It sounds a little bit like the South African gold mines uh, when you used to have very high percentages or very high yields, 12, 15 uh, grams per ton. It doesn't sound like much, but uh, when you compare it with Canada at one or two grams per ton, um, and that's that's uh, kind of, I get it. And I suppose the big question for shareholders would be, but why has it taken so long? Why, why if South Africa's got this, uh, treasure chest has nobody else gone in there and unlocked it so there there are a few interesting things i mean the the gold miners saw methane as a as a massive um risk to their operations and so yeah they they weren't really interested in the gas and plus back in those days electricity was really cheap so why try harvest the gas um the previous owners um that held this were doing it via remote control. And the previous owners that had bought the rights were squatting on this right along with numerous other rights across the world. So they had dead operations all over the place. Um, but the intention was to hold on until, um, until they could either have a, uh, an increase in the price of LNG and then sell the asset at a profit or spend some money and, and drill and, um, and, uh, and then, yeah, hit the payday. Unfortunately for them, they, you know, their their primary project was actually in Texas. It wasn't in South Africa. They didn't spend much money geologically on South African asset. And so, by the time that we we eventually bought it, yeah, we bought essentially what was a stranded asset that, um, yeah, that had limited that had limited value. Um, and yeah, the helium wasn't even a feature. Right? It wasn't even contained in the reports. So from that perspective, they they didn't really know what they were sitting on, and we didn't know what we were buying. It was just a complete, yeah, it was just a complete fluke. Um, from there, from there, once we discovered what what was underground, developing gas projects is a very very long um, road to walk. And the reason that I say that is because it's different to mining. While they're both extractive industries. With mining, you sink the shaft, you go down, you pull the ore out, that's it, you're producing, and you can be up and running relatively soon. 
the equipment that you're making over here tends to be quite specialized. It tends to have relatively long lead times. But once you've drilled your wells and once you've put your equipment down and you go into production, you have no other input costs. So it becomes a cash cow. And that's the big difference. You don't have people going down to fetch the ore to bring the ore up to the surface. You don't have people having to process. The the, the manpower that we employ, by contrast, is minuscule compared to compared to the mining houses. And that's where we differ massively from mining houses. So we've got incredibly long lead times to bring it up into, into fruition. But once they're in fruition, you're sitting in a position where you've got this cash cow with a very, very low cash burn, very high revenue base, and you've got a very, very small staffing complement. Um, the, the knock-on impacts, I mean, the, the amount of employment that you create in a secondary capacity is unthinkable. And you only have to think back to the financial crisis of 2008. Think about the biggest economy in the world, the United States. The United States managed to completely turn its economy around on the shale revolution. That's the power of... of having gas as a catalyst in your economy. Did the shale industry itself employ all those people? No, it didn't. But the availability of energy security completely turned the country's, um, the country's prospects around. They, they, led, they led the charge coming out of the, out of the GFC. You, you can understand it. Thank you for unpacking that. Just to close off with, have you got the licenses? We know that the Department of Mineral and energy can sometimes be tricky and certainly has been in the past. Have you got the licenses you need? In other words, are there any legislative obstacles to going ahead with the big plan, which, as you say, will be only completed in 2027-ish? We've got all the permissions we need. We've got all the licenses. So the, and, and the, there, are, there are a few, few say little licenses here and there, like a, a license for this and a license for that, but you can only apply for those once you've bought the equipment. But the, the big ones, the, the big licenses relating to the mineral tenure, um, the environmental, all of that stuff, that's all done. So if I understand correctly, you've got the licenses, you've got the resources, you are in the process, you've got the finance for the, uh, for the plant, you're going to be needing to raise more capital uh, but the markets aren't in, uh, in in your favor at the moment, so you're waiting until May next year, by which time maybe the markets have changed, maybe they haven't. But then, as you say, you've got a plan B, so you look at plan B if if things aren't conducive at that point. But in the short term, the attention for your investors, for those 42, 45,000 investors, would be, this is this is a, a proof of proof of concept. Our long term game is in phase two. That's the seven hundred and fifty million dollar plant. That is what you should be focusing your attention on. It's a different story to the one that uh, that that we just update you with every quarter. Is that am I am I understanding this story correctly? Yeah, by and large, that's um, that's that's uh, that's correct. Yeah, the fact is, this is a proof of concept. There is a bigger play over here, and that's what we're working towards. That's what our lenders see. That's what we see. And um, and you know, looking looking at uh, international investors, international investors aren't interested in the phase one project. It's just too small. Um, you know, for them, their minimum investment size is fifty to hundred million dollars. It's uh, 
yeah, it's it, it's a it's a different uh, it's a different kettle of fish out there. So look at this company through different eyes if you are an investor. Stefano Morani is the chief executive of Renogen. I'm Alec Hogg from Business.com. 